0: It's February 18th. My name is David McAdam, and I hope I can encourage you in reading the Bible today. This is the one year Bible tour, and we will be reading from the book of Leviticus, the third book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, Psalm 37 in the book of Psalms, and from the Proverbs of Solomon, Proverbs chapter 10. As we've been learning, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament dramatically spells out what is required for our redemption. The worshiper needs a specific kind of intercession and atonement if they are to approach God who is holy. The basic information as to how God can absolve all guilt and make it possible for us to fellowship with him is made clear in this book. So let's continue reading from Leviticus chapter 6 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor, or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, and any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by oppression, or or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full, and shall add a fifth to it, and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do, and thereby become guilty. The Priests and the Offerings The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth on the altar all day until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar, and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, and put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning. And he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually, it shall not go out. And this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar. And one shall take from it a handful of the fine flour of the grain offering, and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering, and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar a pleasing aroma to the Lord, and the rest of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. It is the thing most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it, as decreed forever throughout your generations. From the Lord's food offerings. Whatever touches them shall be holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering that Aaron and his sons shall offer to the Lord on the day when he is anointed, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half in the evening. It shall be made with oil on a griddle. You shall bring it well mixed, in baked pieces, like a grain offering, and offer it for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest from among Aaron's sons, who is anointed to succeed him, shall offer it to the Lord as decreed forever. The whole of it shall be burned. Every grain offering of a priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten, in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy, and when any of its blood is splashed on a garment, you shall wash that on which it was splashed in a holy place. And the earthenware vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. But if it is boiled in a bronze vessel... That shall be scoured and rinsed in water. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It is most holy. But no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burned up with fire. Chapter 7 This is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar. And all its fat shall be offered, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it sh- shall have it. And the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. And every grain offering baked in the oven, and all that is prepared on a pan or a griddle, shall belong to the priest who offers it. And every grain offering, mixed with oil or dry, shall be shared equally on among all the sons of Aaron. And this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If He offers it for a thanksgiving, then He shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of His peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, It shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice, and on the next day what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity." Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness, or an unclean beast, or any unclean detestable creature, and then eat some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat. The fat of an animal that dies of itself, and the fat of one that is torn by peace, may be put to any other use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal, of which a food offering may be made to the Lord, shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood whatever, whether of fowl or of an animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. So what are we to make of all these sacrifices and stipulations? The priesthood and the sacrifices prescribed in the ceremonial law could not in themselves make worship acceptable, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, and chapter 10, verses 4 to 6. Their effectiveness was in that they pointed the Israelites to God's future grace, the provision of the perfect intercession and atoning sacrifice that would be provided by Jesus Christ, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 7 to 14. The privilege of intimacy with God is not attained through any sacrifice that we can bring. Our hope for communion with God can only be realized on the ground of absolute righteousness in Hebrews 7 verse 19. The book of Leviticus helps us to understand this. We cannot offer any inherent righteousness of our own, for we are convicted as transgressors worthy of death according to God's holy law. The good news is that God in his infinite grace has offered us the righteousness of another, the absolute righteousness of God the Son, Christ Jesus. He is our high priest, without sin and worthy of eternal life. In Hebrews chapter four verses fourteen to fifteen, chapter six verses nineteen to twenty, chapter seven verses twenty five and twenty six, chapter eight verse one, chapter nine verses eleven to fifteen. He approaches God as our representative, clothed in the beauty and glory of absolute holiness. He offers His merits in place of our demerits. His merits are seen in the three sweet-smelling sacrifices which exist as a lingering reminder of His standing in our place in the presence of God's holiness. The perpetual fragrance of Christ is evident in the burnt offering, portraying His perfect surrender in Leviticus 1, the grain offering, in Leviticus 2, portraying his perfect service as his humanity is perfectly submitted to God on behalf of others. And then in Leviticus 3, the peace offering, portraying his perfect serenity as he communicates and mediates the fellowship of the Godhead. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, in Ephesians chapter two, verse fourteen. In the sin offering in Leviticus four to five, thirteen, and the guilt offering in Leviticus five, fourteen, through chapter six, verse seven, portray Jesus taking the punishment of God's wrath against sin upon himself, and putting away sin in Hebrews nine, verse twenty-six. The sin offering was for those who offended God, who were ignorant of it at the time. The guilt offering was for sins against the holy things of the Lord, the tabernacle or the priesthood, and against one's neighbor, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. The offering involved confession and restitution. We have the repetition of the phrase unintentionally or in ignorance, meaning that the violators were not aware that they were violating the law at the time. There was no sacrifice for high-handed or deliberate sins in Numbers chapter 15 verse 30 to 36, and these transgressors had to cast themselves upon God's mercy with a sacrifice of a broken spirit and contrite heart in Psalm 51. Important concepts and themes are introduced in the book of Leviticus that will be picked up in many other books in both the Old and New Testaments. You will be grateful that you did not skip reading this book, the priesthood and the tabernacle provide important insights into the ways of god that are made clear in the book of hebrews in the new testament particularly in hebrews chapters 9 and 10 in leviticus chapters 6 and 7 we are introduced to more important facts first of all the symbol of fire we have already learned of the fire in the cloud that provided illumination and direction in the darkness in exodus chapters 13 Uh, verse 21 in Exodus chapter 14, verse 20. We have seen the role of fire as it consumes the sacrifices on the brazen altar. Fire releases the fragrance of the sweet-smelling sacrifices and destroys those that are not. Fire is used at the altar of incense. In Leviticus chapter 6, we learn of the law of the burnt offering. This had to do with the maintenance of the fire. Chapter 6, verse 9 and verse 12, and the deposition of the ashes for the burnt offering sacrifices, in chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. What strikes the reader are the words, Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar, it is not to go out, in Leviticus 6.13. The fire speaks of the nature of God and His work in judgment and purification. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. This is repeated in the New Testament, Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a consuming fire. The fire represents the holy nature of God and the activity of holiness in judgment and purification. We learn in a later chapter of Leviticus that the fire on the altar was a divine initiation. God started the fire. In Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24, And there came a fire out from before the Lord, and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Any fire in the tabernacle that was not of divine origin is considered strange fire. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, will be killed for the sin of offering strange fire before the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, the presence of holy fire in the tabernacle indicated that it was God Himself who would make the acceptable sacrifice. The fire of God's holiness consumes all that is contrary to Himself. It is God Himself who is the consuming fire. It is God who reduces to ashes that which represents sin. It is God who releases on behalf of the worshiper the fragrance of that which is pleasing to Himself in the burnt offering, the meal offering, and the peace offering. It is God who initiates and completes the work of salvation. It is God who makes holy. That fire is never to go out, day and night. The priests were to be sure that the fire was well fed. They were not to let it go out. Man has no holiness in himself. It all comes from the Lord. The fire is to be maintained by the presentation of all that we are to God. Wood speaks of our humanity. We are to present for destruction by fire things in our lives that are not worthy. We are to present things in our lives that are worthy. They are to be handed over for purification. We should withhold nothing from the fire. There is no moment of the day or night that our lives need not to be presented to God, our holy fire. In Leviticus chapter 6, verses 10 to 11, we read about the ashes. Ashes are an important symbol in the Old Testament. They are considered as evidence that a sacrifice has been fully consumed. The ashes serve as a witness to what has taken place. There has been an accomplished act, an acceptable substitutionary sacrifice has been offered as a provision for redemption. Next we read about the food of the offerings. Jesus made reference to an incident when the Pharisees reprimanded him for plucking corn on the Sabbath. He said that David entered the house of God and ate the showbread when he was hungry. In Mark chapter 2 verses 25 to 26 first samuel 21 verse 6 we can see from leviticus 6 verse 16 and chapter 7 verse 6 that only aaron and his sons had permission to eat the bread from the grain offering and from the table of showbread in leviticus 24 verses 5 to 9 in pagan religions sacrifices are offered to appease or feed the gods however the god of the bible provides food for man in genesis 1 verse 29 in the tabernacle we see that it is God who feeds His people with sacrifices. He provides a portion to the priests, and in some cases, to the worshippers in front of the tabernacle. Some people see God as a vending machine. You put so much in and you get so much out. This is not the way of our God. God does not need us to feed Him. In Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, Everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. The children of Israel were to eat of the Passover lamb. The donors of an animal for the peace offering were permitted to partake of its meat. Only the priests could eat the grain offering, sin and guilt offerings, and they had to eat in a holy place. In Leviticus chapter 6 verse 16. They could eat the skin of the burnt offerings and the breast and the right thigh of the peace offerings. These Old Testament types were placeholders for the perfect once-and-for-all sacrifice of Christ. The death of Jesus was the final sin offering in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. What are the offerings that we bring as New Testament believers? As those who are alive to God and members of His royal priesthood in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, we present our bodies the entirety of our lives as a living sacrifice. This is our reasonable service. Full devotion and surrender in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. We bring the sacrifice of praise in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. We honor, meditate upon, and obey his word. We pray for others and we do good to others, sharing generously through the gospel and in active support of the work of the gospel in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 16 to 18, and Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Now let's read from the New Testament as we continue in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. A great crowd follows Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed, from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that He was doing, they came to Him, and He told His disciples to have a boat ready for Him because of the crowd, lest they crush Him, for He had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around Him to touch Him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, they fell down before Him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And He strictly ordered them not to make Him known. And he went up on the mountain, and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Once again we notice that the demons are quick to recognize Jesus as the Son of God. In Mark 3, verse 11, whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, they would fall down before Him and shout, You are the Son of God. In the book of Acts, we realize that demons not only recognize Christ, but they recognize those who have been born of His Holy Spirit. In Acts 19, verse 15, and the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul. But who are you? He was referring to the seven sons of Sceva who were not in Christ. The question we should ask is, are we sufficiently identified with Christ to be known by the forces of heaven and hell? Jesus chooses twelve disciples. Soon we learn that others, including some of his own people, think Jesus is crazy. In John chapter 10 verse 20 we read, Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? In Mark chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, we read, When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying that he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus answers critics, picking up on the word Beelzebul, which means master of the house, saying, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. In verses 24 to 27, Jesus makes it clear that he stands in opposition to Satan and that He is stronger than Satan. The evidence of this is that He cast out the demons. Jesus then warns the Pharisees that they were in danger of committing an eternal and unforgivable sin in Mark 3:28 to 30 The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction of sin and the Word's witness of the Savior to the heart. The religious leaders who had denied every overture from God, even being offered forgiveness by Jesus on the cross, resisted the Spirit in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, and rejected Christ to their own destruction. Their willful, persistent, and decisive verdict that the Holy Spirit's witness about Jesus Christ is satanic kept them from the fount of forgiveness. The only unforgivable sin is the rejection of the Son of God. Psalm 37, verses 1 to 11. He will not forsake his saints. A Psalm of David. and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land, and delight themselves in abundant peace. The psalmist uses a special literary style. It is an acrostic poem, each stanza beginning with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And what a great psalm it is! Don't waste emotional energy on worrying or reacting to others in verses 1 and 2. Trust in the Lord and respond to His grace in verses 3 to 11. When you delight yourself in the Lord, He gives you new desires in verse 4. We can have confidence in the Lord's enabling power if we're committed to doing God's work God's way. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Now for today's reading from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10, verses 3 to 4. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. This is a good admonition to be diligent while recognizing it is the Lord who feeds you. May the Lord starve our wicked cravings. He blesses those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Bless our diligent work in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, keep the altar of our heart's devotion continually aflame with your abiding presence that we may readily offer you the sacrifice of praise. Father, thank you for calling us to holiness and providing Christ to be for us our holiness, representing us before you, living in us and by the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit ever changing us into his likeness. We delight ourselves in you and are thrilled to be able to participate in what you are doing to make disciples of all kinds of people in the world today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a blessing to be reading the Word of God together with you today, and God willing, we'll be back tomorrow as we press on with the one-year Bible tour. I always like to remind you that we provide a free service, sending out a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading with color maps, charts, and illustrations that folks find helpful. You can subscribe to this free email by going to our website, newlife.org. And you can always contact us by email, as our email address is podcast at newlife.org. We are happy to answer your questions, receive your feedback and comments, or learn more about how we can be praying for you. Also, you can help us in our mission to spread the Word of God through this podcast by indicating it's a blessing to you, subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, leaving a review, or giving us a like. We trust that the rest of your day be full of inspiration and that you will seize each moment as a gift from God and share the joy. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Shalom.